Amen. There you go. Thanks, sir. All right. Well, I appreciate those men singing tonight. What a blessing to hear men sing. And, you know, they're, they're constantly trying to uh, remove things. And of course, we know that uh, in, our, in our nation, they're trying to remove a lot of history. Can you imagine where we would be if some people had their way and they took the blood out? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Aren't you glad for the blood of Jesus Christ? You see, we stand for the book and we stand for the blood. And uh, I hope that you appreciate what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And so if you have your Bible, we have uh, many verses we'll look at tonight. Tonight is probably a little bit more what we would call topical messages. Um, may not be this way every week, but uh, this morning what we looked at, Acts 6, verses 1 through 7, was what is called expository preaching, where you take a section, a text, or some verses, and you just preach right through that text, which is what we did this morning. I love expository preaching. But tonight, because of this new series, we're going to get started, and we're going to take a look here at one verse as we get started tonight in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, but tonight's message will be a little bit more topical in nature, so hopefully you grab one of the outlines. Anybody made it in here tonight, didn't get a copy of the outline, raise your hand. And we'll have a couple, one of you guys want to go grab a few. Keep your hand up. Brother Kenny's got, got one there. Anybody else need one? Brother Renee over here. And I uh, want to make sure everybody's got it. That'll, that'll help you to follow along. And then maybe you can make some notes, write some things down on that piece of paper there. But again, I want to thank you for being here tonight. What a good crowd as we begin our new series on this Sunday night. Now, tonight's message is simply entitled, Standing for Biblical Truth. Now, notice the I-N-G. That means to continue to stand for the truth that was once delivered unto the saints. And we need the truth of the Word of God, but more than that, we need to make sure that we have clarity when it comes to the truth. A lot of misunderstanding, a lot of things that are being distorted uh, in churches across America and around the world. And it's very important that we understand this. Sometimes in life, it's tough to have clarity. Have you ever gotten maybe a, a, a bit of information? It might be a text message. It might be a voicemail or it might be an email where you, you're sitting there scratching your head trying to figure out exactly what was being communicated. Has that ever happened to you? A lot of times I'm like, now what exactly did he mean by that? Or what does that deal with there? It's kind of like the church in Louisville, Kentucky. They were trying their best. The pastor was trying to help the church members to understand the Ten Commandments. And he was doing his best to try to help them understand that, but they were having a hard time getting it. And of course, because it was in Louisville, Kentucky, he decided to Kentuckyize the Ten Commandments and call it the Hillbillies. Ten Commandments. He thought maybe this will help our people to understand and give them clarity on what those commandments really are. So here's how he simplified them. Number one, commandment number one is, ain't but one God. He said that's pretty simple. Number two, ain't nothing comes before the Lord. Number three, the third commandment, 
quit your foul mouthing. Commandment number four, get your hide to Sunday meeting. Commandment number five, honor your maw and paw. Commandment number six, no killing except for critters. Commandment number seven, no fooling around with another fella's gal. Commandment number eight, don't take what ain't yours. Commandment number nine, no telling tales or gossiping. And commandment number 10, don't be hankering for your buddy's stuff. And I'm telling you, that helped them. It simplified what many times people have a hard time understanding is what those Ten Commandments are all about. Now, truth is very important. We need to understand biblical truth is extremely important. Now, if you have your Bible or your outline there, let's look at this verse here that should be familiar to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So listen, how much Scripture was inspired by God? All of it. Every last word. And I believe that tonight. I hope you do. Because when we think about biblical truth, We're talking about God's words. And as you think about so many that have labored to communicate the Word of God, I hope you, as a Christian, on a regular basis are sharing the truth of God's Word with other people. Do you know why people don't get saved? Because we don't share the truth of God's Word with them. What a refreshing day it was yesterday, first of all, to see 14 of our members show up to go out and do what God has commanded us to do. Also, it was very refreshing to see and hear of the fact that when we share the truth, the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I walked up the street, and I turned the corner to go up the driveway, and as I was heading up the driveway, I noticed that as I was heading towards the door that the owner was standing on his front porch. And I walked up and introduced myself and told him I was from Bible Baptist Church, said I'd like to give you an invitation to our services, and I asked him, I said, do you have a church home? And he mentioned one of the churches that's right here in our area that he's been going there for six months. And I said to him, I said, can I ask you a question, Mike? I said, are you saved? And his response was, I've been baptized. Well, immediately I knew that he did not understand the truth about salvation. And so I began to talk to him about what the Bible says about salvation. I took him all the way back to Genesis, talked to him about the original sin. He understood that. He had heard that. He'd read that in his Bible. He'd been in church. Like many, he has been in the Word of God, but yet not fully understanding the truths in the Word of God. I circled back around and I said to him, 
I said, if you could with me, just picture something for a minute. I said, we weren't there, but I said, many years ago, on a hill called Calvary, there were three crosses. I said, do you remember who was on that middle cross? And he said, Jesus. I said, do you know who Jesus is? And he said, he's the Son of God. I said, you got that right. I said, do you remember who was on one of those crosses next to Jesus? And he said, I believe they were thieves. And I said, that's right. The Bible uses the word malefactors. And I said, the one thief railed on Jesus and said, if you are the Son of God, why don't you get us down from these crosses? And he looked at me and he said, he was thinking about himself. I said, you got that right, Mike. I said, he wasn't interested in the Lord or what the Lord could do for him. He was interested in himself. I said, do you remember the other guy? And he goes, I believe I do. He said a few things, and I said, the first word out of that man's mouth was Lord. I said, now you don't call Jesus Lord unless you believe that he's God. I said, by one word, his admission was, I believe that you are God. And I said, and then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me this day when thou goest into paradise. And I said, think about that, Mike. Here's a thief who knows truth because he knew Jesus was going to go to heaven. And I said, now here's the thing I want to bring to you, Mike, is I asked you when I came up to your porch, are you saved? And you said, I've been baptized. I said, did that man die on that cross? And he goes, well, I'm sure he did. I said, he did. I said, but you know what? He never got baptized. But Jesus said to that man who believed in him, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. I said, do you know where that thief is today? He's in heaven. And I began to share truth, important biblical truth. And you know, there's been others over the years. Like one of the books in our Bible, it's a small book in the New Testament, the book of Titus. And the Bible establishes that Titus was on the island of Crete, right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Just a small little island. Paul wrote to Titus, and this is where God placed Titus to minister. And I want you to notice the verse here in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul is writing under the inspiration. Remember, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Notice what he said to him. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may by be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. In other words, there was something going on on the island of Crete. There were those that maybe lacked sound teaching 
and doctrine. And so as a result of that, the Christians that were scattered over this island of Crete, some of them were struggling because there were many that were teaching unsound doctrine, false teaching. Notice the next couple verses, verse 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert, look at this, whole houses, the damage that they're doing, teaching things which they ought not, and the reason that they're doing it is for filthy lucre's sake. They're doing it for a paycheck. They're not doing it so that people can come to Christ. As a matter of fact, their false teaching is leading people away from the truth. And Paul says, look, Titus, you need to be aware of this. Now, Titus, while he was on the island of Crete, his mission was to train pastors. To train them to do what? Verse 9, to hold fast the faithful word. That's what God wants for you and I. To hold fast the faithful word. Now, the test of Titus's ministry, yes, he was tested while he was on the island, while he was doing ministry, but the test for him reached even beyond Titus's lifetime because there was a Roman emperor at that time whose name was Decius. Now, this is the best I could come up with. This was a likeness that somebody made of Decius. And Decius issued an edict, and that is actually, they believe that was the, one of the forms of the edict, although we can't necessarily read it. But Decius actually issued this edict about sacrificial worship and that everyone, including Christians, needed to participate in this ungodly act. Now, those that Titus was ministering to, that he was training these pastors, this wicked emperor, Decius, rounded up 10 of these pastors on the island of Crete who refused to obey his edict of sacrificial worship. They were tortured for 30 days. This is a likeness of what they call the holy martyrs of Crete. For 30 days they were scourged, racked, dragged on the ground through dung heaps. They were stoned, spat upon, and starved. And when they refused to worship the emperor, they gave the ultimate sacrifice for the truth. They were martyred for the faith. We have no idea now, it may happen in our lifetime. We may have to take a stand unlike never before in our lives. But I'll tell you this, we will be joining the ranks of some of the greatest Christians that have ever lived. Many of them, we don't know their names. But we come from a long line of faithful believers who stood. Listen, God's not asking us to stand where no one has stood before. God wants us to stand and join the ranks. Now, in America, yes, we have enjoyed, have we not, religious freedom. We're blessed beyond measure. 
Not only is religious freedom in America changing, but our entire culture is following the path of the Romans. It goes all the way back to the Roman culture, and the only hope for America is what we, what we, what we experienced this last week, spiritual revival. We need a spiritual awakening. Short of a national revival, America is heading to a complete paganistic country. We're well on our way. If the Lord does not return soon, will churches of today that are following culturally approved paths, will those churches produce Christians whose allegiance to the Lord, will it be strong enough? For martyrdom. I wonder. Making disciples and building an authentic New Testament church is not about following the popular leaders and the popular trends of the day. I'm not here to follow trends. I'm here to follow Jesus. See, only Christ-centered commitment to biblical truth will stand the test of time. Are you a committed follower of Christ? You see, time will tell. It happened in Titus's life, and it may happen in your life. So with me tonight, let's look at a few things about standing for biblical truth. Notice, first of all, with me tonight, the mattering of truth. The mattering of truth. In other words, what are we talking about? We're talking about the importance of truth. We're talking about the significance of truth, the importance of it. We live in a world where any claim of absolute truth is despised. People are not interested in the Bible. A growing number of Christians even believe that the truth itself is too controversial. You see, we're living in a day where more are actually concerned about, they're more concerned about the culture than they are about the truth. But that's not how the New Testament Bible Christianity works. The history of the world is a history of man's position to the truth. It goes all the way back to the garden until now. What happens? Satan attacks the truth. That's what he did in the garden. And as he attacks the truth, what does he do? Well, if you remember with Adam and Eve, he deceives the hearts of people. Look at John 8, The Bible says, Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. You ought to highlight that. There's no truth in Satan. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. We who know Christ, we who hold the truth, must be committed to the truth. You think about people in a courtroom. They, they come up on the stand, and they place their hand on a copy of God's Word. And they're asked, will you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but 
the truth, so help you God. I wonder in your life, how committed are you? It's one thing to say you are. It's another to live it, to be committed to the truth of God's Word. This commitment is something that is both personally and ecclesiastically held. You see, you as an individual, as a Christian, as a believer, you, regardless of what other people are doing, what other believers are doing, you personally need to be committed to the truth. But as a church, you know, do we want to draw a crowd or do we want to be committed as a church to the truth of the Word of God? Oh, look, I just about every week, somebody says, well, pastor, what if we did this? What if we tried this? What if we got this? Most churches in America today are nothing more than an entertainment center. You walk out as empty as you walked in. Oh, don't get me wrong. You heard some music that feeds your flesh, but you walk out and as quickly as you receive what you did, you leave it when you walk out. You see, God's Word changes lives, the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, you need me. We need the truth of God's Word. You see, society today is easily and I think accurately described You might differ on this, but I believe that society is described today as post-Christian, past. In other words, we've left our moorings as Christians. How many of you believe that America was founded as a Christian nation? How many of you think America is a Christian nation today? You see, post-Christian. Things are changing. Many think that this regression is the result of corrupt government. Now, you can't blame everything on government. We could try. (laughs) But, you know, I really, I believe it all comes down to the house of God. It begins at the house of God. It's easy to point the finger at the White House. Listen, there's a lot of corruption, but what about us? What about Christians and churches that don't stand for the truth? Are we unwilling to earnestly contend for the faith? Look at the Bible says in Jude, verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence, look at that, all diligence, to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Watch this. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were 
were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there are those Christians today that have forgotten the value of truth. And look, we are commanded as God's people to stand for the truth. Why? Because Jesus said in John 8, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you... I don't know about you, but that's how I got saved. I heard the truth. And I realized I was a sinner. And I realized Jesus loves me, and he died for me. And because of that, I have liberty in Christ. God set me free. Mike bowed his head on his porch yesterday, and he prayed and trusted Christ as a Savior. I said, Mike, did you pray that prayer to me? No. Who'd you pray that prayer to? To God. I said, did you save yourself? He said, no. I said, who saved you? He goes, God did. I said, that's right. You see, we need to understand how important truth is. Because what happens when there is not truth? Now, I want you to take your right, take your Bible and go with me over to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. We're just talking tonight about the importance of truth, the mattering of truth. But when there is no truth, what happens? Well, look at the Bible says here in Isaiah 59, look at verse number 2. By the way, I love verse number 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, and praise God for that, that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Verse 2, what happens when there's no truth? Here it is. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity, speak lies, they conceive mischief, and bring forth iniquity. They hatch, they hatch cockatrice eggs, and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the acts of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Therefore, is judgment far from us, neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity, for brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we have no eyes. We stumble at the noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. 
We roar all like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord, and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off for truth is fallen in the streets, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey, for the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. What happens when there's no truth? Listen, can I tell you what happens? Today, you you check it out for yourself. There are entire entire denominations that deny the deity of Christ. That Jesus is God. Religions, and by the way, we are not a part of religion. But yet many of the denominations of the day do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that did not happen over time. That didn't happen overnight. It happened over time. Leaders began to downplay the truth. They have stated that the intention of that is not offending a lost world. Oh, we don't want to offend people by saying that Jesus is God. Yet what did Jesus say about the truth? He said that if I share the truth, the truth will cause division. Look what he said in Matthew 10. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Thirty years ago, a man by the name of Francis Schaeffer said, Here is the great evangelical disaster to stand for truth as truth. There is only one word for this, accommodation. The church has accommodated to the spirit of the age. Do you know what the word accommodate or accommodation is? It means to adapt. It means to conform. Hey, listen, last time I checked, we are not to be conformed to this world. We are to be transformed. We are not to say, hey, we want to be like the world. The Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. You see, I think about this word, accommodation. You know what another word for accommodation is? Compromise. To compromise means to make concessions for. When churches become more concerned about how truth is received by unsaved people in a godless culture than they are concerned about the truth itself, compromise is sure to follow. Last time I checked, listen, people need to hear the truth. By the way, if you love them, you'll tell them the truth. 
But oftentimes, even among religious leaders today, they want to compromise. And can I tell you that compromising leads, here it is, to an accommodating theology. Folks, what I'm sharing with you tonight, you can check every last bit of this. It's happening. It's been happening in our world. It's been happening in our churches, this accommodating theology, doctrines that leave lost people in a godless culture without the truth. Vance Habner said years ago, listen to this, contending for the faith is not easy. It is not pleasant business. It has many perils. It's a thankless job. It is highly unpopular in this age of moral fogs and spiritual twilights. It is a day of diplomats, not prophets. It is nicer to be an appeaser than it is an opposer. We're living in a day where there's much dialogue and very little standing. No one wants to stand for the truth, but can I tell you that the truth matters. And where are we going to be if we allow the truth to be fallen in the streets? Especially when the truth is gone, we're going to realize how very important the truth is. So the mattering of truth, the importance of it. And secondly tonight, let's talk about the moving from truth. The moving from truth. You see, for many, truth is in motion. Truth is changing. It's a moving target. This is a gradual slippage from the truth. Look, if you had a car tonight, and your car, the transmission on your car was starting to go out. Ever been there? I remember my dad had an old car and the transmission. One time we didn't think we were going to get to where we were supposed to because the transmission was doing more slipping than it was actually driving us. See, there's a gradual slipping from truth. Truth, can I tell you, a lot of people want to say this, but truth is not relevant. People say truth is relative. They, they say, look, uh, everything about truth is relative. Some believe that truth differs according to individual viewpoints. Like, like there are times where I've talked to somebody and they'll say, well, that's what you believe. No, that's what thus saith the Lord. I, I get it. Everybody is has their own Look, you have the right, you have your own life, you have your own conscience. But see, when it comes to truth, people say the truth is relative. It's constantly moving. Now, there's a purpose behind that because what they want to do, listen to me, is they want to justify their wicked lifestyle. And see, their lifestyle doesn't line up with the truth, so hey, let's change it. So that I can live like I want without conviction. Hello? A lot of people today. Christians are talking about how the truth is relative. Some say that that which is true for you is not necessarily true for me. Relative truth, when you think about it, 
at the, at the onset, it sounds something that is very open-minded, but the truth is it's not open-minded at all. It's very shut down. That's like saying for you, like, think of how ridiculous somebody said this to you. Well, listen, you know, gravity works for you, but it doesn't work for me. Really? Well, let me throw you off of a building. Let's see how that works out for you. Generally speaking, I know this won't be popular, but opinions, yours and mine, are relative. Because everybody's opinion is going to be different. But can I tell you tonight, God's word is absolute. It's absolute truth. Now, what does that mean? It's complete in itself. God's word is independent. In, a, in order for us to understand absolute truth, well, what do we need to do? We need to define what truth is. According to the dictionary, truth is conformity to fact or actuality. It's a statement proven to be or accepted to be true. Those who believe that everything is relative, they give way to no moral absolutes. They give way to no authority for what is right and wrong. That's why, listen, what does the Bible say? Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. It's all relative. And this view leads to what we are seeing and have been seeing which is what some people term situational ethics. Situational ethics are a belief that what is right or wrong is relative to the situation. There's no right or wrong. Whatever feels right is right. If it feels good, do it. And that leads to Whatever feels good mentality and lifestyle. All of this, you know what it is? It's postmodernism. Every last bit of it. What is a postmodern society? One that regards all values, a society that regards beliefs, lifestyles, and even the truth as equally valid. Yet the Bible says. That God's word is truth. It's absolute truth. Look at Psalm 119. Thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth for how long? Forever. Look at John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You know how the Bible describes the church? It's the pillar of and the ground of what? The truth. If you want that reference, you can write down 1 Timothy 3.15. Now, what are we seeing today? The pulling away from truth. Truth is moving. And how does that happen? Here it is. It begins with our associations. Be careful. When I was in Bible college many years ago, I had a professor and he used this term all the time. Now, now that I'm farther down the road and I've been in ministry, I've been seeing this, and I'm going to tell you something. He was absolutely right. The term that he used was called the middle of the road man. 
I mean, if somebody's off the road, we clearly can see that. But it's the man that's straddling the truth and lies. And he constantly said, there are always going to be those that are pulling away from the truth. And watch this, if we associate with them, they will pull us away from the truth as well. The moving of truth. A slippage from the truth can also take place among Bible-believing Christians. How does that happen? Because we lose our focus to firmly stand on the truth. So many things vie for your attention, for your focus. The devil wants to get your eyes off of the truth. Folks, the truth is of the utmost importance. The decay produced by compromise. A lot of times people don't realize how dangerous it is, but it doesn't reveal itself immediately. It takes years sometimes. You see, there are a lot of churches that have given up on Wednesday night and Sunday night. They've gone to a different version of the Bible. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody has a crystal ball, but we cannot see far enough down the road to understand that what we do now, what we sow, we will reap someday. Every generation will see the fruit of the compromise. And that's why it's vital that we understand what God's Word says regarding the truth. If we follow, and listen, this is where you need to be in your heart. If we follow the clear commands of the Scripture, guess what? We're going to be on track. You see, there is the mattering of truth, the importance of it. There's the changing of truth, the moving away from truth. Then look at number three. There's the mentoring of truth. Now, what does this mean? Well, we are to train others. My wife has made many, I didn't grow up in church. Maybe you were privileged to grow up in a Bible-believing church. By the way, if you grew up in a Bible-believing church, you ought to thank God for that. But like many of us, myself included, I didn't get saved till I was 20. My wife has made many comments about things that we have come to understand that Christians today things that they should know, they should understand, truth, that here they are in their adult years and still don't understand those truths. And my wife has made comments like, I learned that in Sunday school as a little kid. And yet, we don't, we don't know these truths. It's important that we, we understand and that we teach it to the next generation, that we advise them of the truth. The church should be a mentoring environment for the truth. Hey, I'm not interested in Brother Tim and Miss Maylene just being in the back on Sundays and just singing some little funny songs and, and, and maybe just having this or having that. I want them to teach those boys and girls some truth. I'm not interested in Brother Flynn and, 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 and Brother Tim and, and Miss Caitlin and myself just having a class and just kind of sitting around and talking about things that are relative. I want us to be talking about the truth. Why? Because the truth is what's going to change our lives, and we need to pass it along, teach and train it to the next generation. Because if we don't teach it to the next generation, 
this world is not going to either. You see, we can sit around and talk about our opinion. Well, this is what I think that verse. Oh, this is what I think, and this is what I think. Listen, I don't care what I think. I care what God says about it. That's okay to talk about it. It's okay to have some good discussion. Just make sure your discussion stays focused on the truth. You see, we're, the churches are becoming like secular universities. Oh, we have the Bible. It's open. We're having a discussion about this verse. We're so far away from that verse. We're so far away from that truth. And listen, it's like the old preacher that loves to chase rabbits, and he forgot which trail he was on before he started chasing that rabbit. And he's like, well, I don't even know where I'm at. That's what happens sometimes. Are you listening tonight? From my heart as a pastor, as a Christian, I care about the truth. We've got to wake up, folks. If we're going to stand, we've got to know what we're standing for. We've got to know the truth. Because that's the only thing that's going to make a difference in people's lives. Look what Paul said to the church in Philippi. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Paul says, look, I'm trying by my life, by my testimony, I'm trying to live out. And he says, and the God of peace shall be with you. Stand, and he says, God will be with you. The world is constantly, watch this, they're constantly breaking down biblical distinctives and biblical values. Well, that's not really what that's, that means. You know, I think it, it, it's, it's more like this. Really. Christians have to teach and model like Paul was. And you have to do it. Listen, don't, don't leave it. By the way, the church should be a teaching institution. But don't leave it up to the church. This ought to be happening in your homes. If you have children, teach your children. The responsibility was given by God to the home. The home was established in the Old Testament, before government was established, and before the church was established. You see, areas of instruction that we find as we study the Bible in the first century, by the way, those areas of instruction are still needed today. Look at, here's a few of them that I jotted down, some items in the first century, some things of instruction about order. God is a God of order. They, they covered things about authority. Whoa, that's a big one for people. I'm suspicious. I just don't trust anybody. Well, listen, trust God. People say, I, I just don't know about authority. How about this one? Holiness. God's holy. We are to be holy. Integrity. Here's one. In our world today, masculinity and femininity. A man ought to be a man, and a woman can be a woman. We're living in a day. Listen, my, my daughter, we were talking the other day, and, and uh, my wife was sharing this with somebody where kids, and, and this is probably still going on, where they go to school, and every week they ask the kids, are you, are you a male or a female? Every week. They would ask these little kids this. 
That's society. <laughs> That's the culture. Look, we've got to get back to the truth. They talked about instruction in compassion. And, and these are just some that I thought of, just a few to name tonight. But the church should be a place, listen, yes, we should be a place where there is a spirit of love for one another. There should be a Christ-filled compassion, as we have seen in the last couple of weeks, for the lost. Do you care that people are perishing? Every day, people step out of this world and miss heaven. When I asked Mike on Saturday, yesterday, I said, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Here's what he said. Well, I'm, I'm 99%. And I said to him, I said, Mike, you know what I'm concerned about? That 1%. I said, the Bible says in 1 John 5, these things have I written unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want you to have a, 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 a might-so salvation. He wants you to have a no-so salvation. He wants you to know that you are saved, and churches don't need less truth today, and churches don't need to hide the truth today. Churches, Christians, need to declare the truth today. And churches need to cultivate a mentoring, discipling environment church should be a place where the truth that stands in opposition to the world is presented, where the truth is nurtured. Hey, look, I realize even a message like this, a series like this, it's not popular, but it's the truth. So let's talk about the mandating of truth. What does it mean to mandate something? It's, it means it's commanded. The commanding of truth, Scripture clearly commands us to abound in love, but it also instructs us that our love, listen to this, our love should be governed with knowledge and discernment. Let me say that again. Our love should be governed by knowledge. Knowledge of what? The truth. We need to know the truth. It should help us. Notice Philippians 1. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent. The command to love is not the only command that we are given. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, buy the truth and sell it not. We are commanded to love and to hold the truth. And we dare not do either at the expense of the other. Biblical love, listen to me, biblical love is not tolerant of sin or false doctrine. Biblical love is not tolerant of sin and false doctrine. Jesus in the first century, one of the churches there in the book of the Revelation, those churches of Asia Minor, one of those churches was a church in Ephesus. And Jesus praised that church in Ephesus, listen, not for their tolerance, but for their intolerance. Look at the verse. Jesus said to that church, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. 
Jesus praised them. The church for being intolerant of sin and false doctrine. Now today, there are generations of believers that are tolerating doctrine and practice that they used to stand against. Boy, so many people, so many believers used to believe this, and now they no longer believe it. Listen, can I ask you a question? Has God's Word changed? Has God changed? So who changed? We have. Man has. We have become tolerant of things that we used to stand against. Are you getting this tonight? Now, now look, in, look in your Bible. Go back to Revelation 2. And this time, notice it's not the church in Ephesus. It's the Pergamos church. And here we see Jesus rebuking this church for their tolerance. Notice Revelation 2 verse 14. But I have a few things, notice, against thee. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I which thing I hate, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly. Wow. What a rebuke. And yet how many things that we used to stand against that now we just tolerate it. Because you know what? As the world goes, as the church goes, as our friends go, listen, I want to tell you something. You've heard it. If everybody's going to jump off the bridge, doesn't mean I have to. Truth is truth. Truth doesn't change. It's absolute. But we're living in a day where everybody says, oh, it's all relative. It's what you think. Hey, listen, that was a pretty strong rebuke by the Lord Jesus. A biblical Christian, listen to me, and I know I may not sound like it tonight, but I really do have a loving spirit. But I'll tell you this, even with a loving spirit, we still need to stand for the truth. God's Word, what does it do? It challenges us to stand for the truth. And watch this, not only to stand for the truth, but to stand with others who do likewise. It's awesome when you're around other people that no matter what the world and even some churches do today, that you can find. You remember, remember Elijah after his mountaintop experience and he thought he was the only one. And God says, you're not alone. Matter of fact, there's thousands of others that are still standing. But see, the devil wants you to think you're the only one. People say, boy, if we just did this, we did this. And what you're talking about is compromise, accommodating. Oh, we could draw a crowd. But, you know, I'd rather have five and have the truth than have 500 and not have the truth. See, it's not a call to prideful contention. There's a difference between contending and being contentious. I've known a lot of people over the years, especially Baptist preachers sometimes, that are very contentious. 
But the Bible tells us to contend, to earnestly contend for the faith. That's what we're instructed to do. And, and listen, how can we contend for the faith without being contentious? And here it is. And this may go against your, your grain, your nature, but look what the Bible says in part of Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth, how? In love. Look, we're not out to win an argument. We're out to share the truth. And you know, sometimes the truth can hurt but it's still the truth. And if we speak it in love, look, the mark of a spiritual maturity is not the ability to explain away the truth. That's not a mark of spiritual maturity. A mark of a spiritual mature Christian is one that has the ability to speak the truth in love. Now, I don't know about you tonight, but we just started. I didn't even rev up my engines. I'm looking forward. Listen, say, what are you going to preach next week? I have no idea. Whatever God gives me. Say, Pastor, I thought you had all these messages all prepared. No. It's called the Holy Spirit. But the things that I shared with you tonight and the moving of the truth is something that has been going on for some time now. And God's word is absolute. All of us, every day, we're faced with people who say the truth is relative. That's what you think, but that's not what I think. Now, I don't know about you tonight, but I hope that you received the words that God gave me to share with you tonight. I hope you received them in love. Would you bow your heads with me tonight? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's stand to our feet. I don't know about you, but I'm concerned about the church, Christians, even before the piano plays tonight. Why don't you step out from where you're sitting tonight? Why don't you come and pray? Pray for yourself. Pray for our church. Pray for Christians. Why don't you come and say, God, help me to stand. A lot of you, a lot of you know people, maybe even people close to you, that have developed this mentality of the truth being relative. Some of you ought to come tonight and just say, God, I know your word is true. It's been true from the beginning. And thank you for helping me tonight to come back, to get my focus back where it needs to be on what is true. And help me not to fall into the traps. I, I don't know what the days ahead will hold for us, but I know there were ten men that were pastors on the island of Crete Listen, I don't believe their lives were lived in vain. They might have died an early death, but I'll tell you this, we're still talking about them today. We don't know their names. But the reason they gave their lives was for the truth. That's how important it was to them. Is it that important to you? Will you stand for the truth? As the piano begins to play, many have come. Why don't you come tonight? Maybe, maybe ask your neighbor, hey, can we go pray? Can we pray about making sure that we're not sharing our opinions, but we're sharing the truth with others? They need to hear the truth.
I'll tell you this, that man that I met yesterday at his house, he's eternally grateful that I spoke the truth to him because he was trusting in his baptism to get him to heaven. And I'll never forget the smile on his face after he opened his eyes and asked Jesus to be his Savior. And I asked him, I said, you know John 3.16, right? And he goes, I think so. And I began to quote it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I said, Mike, how long is everlasting? He said, it's forever. And I said, based on the truth, I said, if you were to die tomorrow, where would you go? And he goes, heaven. I said, if you died five years from now, where would you go? Based on the truth, he goes, heaven. I said, if you died 15 years from now, based on the truth, where would you go? And he goes, heaven. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that truth doesn't change. And as I was walking away from him, and I had a word of prayer with him, I said, Mike, I may never see you again, but I will see you again one day. I said, where will that be? And he smiled, and he goes, in heaven. And I said, I want you to remember on February the 5th, 2022, you heard the truth. And the truth made you free. Lord, thank you for the truth. Many of us hold it in our hands tonight. The faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was delivered unto us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable. God's word. It's a miracle work. And God, you've given it to us. May we treasure it. And may we stand on it. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.